Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. And you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. Yep, we want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media. We have another great episode for you. Now, in honor of Black History Month, we are going to be joined by two very special guests who have decades of experience in public safety and emergency management. That's right. Joining us will be Calvin Drayton, the first deputy commissioner at New York City Emergency Management, and Jerome Hatfield, former FEMA Region 2 administrator, who is now the senior advisor for Homeland Security and Emergency Management at IEM Leadership. Mr. Hatfield also serves as advisor for the Center for Homeland Defense and Security at the Naval Postgraduate School. Now, as Omar said, these guests bring a wealth of knowledge in emergency management and public safety, and we are excited to chat with them about their experiences. But before we dive in, it's time to give our listeners the latest hot topics in the emergency management field. Here's your Prep Talk Situation Report. It is Situation Report time. Let's get it started. Our first story The New York City Department of Homeless Services recently conducted its 14th annual Homeless Outreach Population Estimate, or HOPE Count. The HOPE Count helps collect vital information for homeless outreach teams, which can help move homeless people from streets to a more stable, safe environment. Volunteers canvassed throughout the city included parks, subways, and other public spaces estimating the number of people who are street homeless. In 2018, the estimated unsheltered population in New York City was 3,675. Thanks, Omar. So YouTube is taking a step to ensure that content promoting conspiracy theories and extremism are less likely to appear in its recommendations to users. Now, the YouTube platform includes recommendations uh, which come up in an automatic playlist that will suggest to users what they should be watching next. Um, While algorithms are controlling these playlists, YouTube had stated in its blog that some videos promote harmful misinformation, which include, quote, videos promoting a phony miracle cure for a serious illness, claiming the earth is flat, or making blatantly false claims about historical events like 9-11. Now, videos that toe the line of being in violation of YouTube's content rules could also be affected, though the company did not further elaborate on what these videos may entail. YouTube acknowledges while the process will take time, quote, it's just another step in an ongoing process, but it reflects our commitment and sense of responsibility to improve the recommendation experience on YouTube. Thank you very much, Allison. Now, could the recent federal government shutdown affect hurricane preparedness this year? Well, some forecasters think so. Now, even though the Atlantic hurricane season runs from June through the end of November, hurricane season is never over for federal employees at the National Hurricane Center in Miami. Contractors use the off-season to improve and update prediction models that allow meteorologists to track storms with greater certainty. The planners, they reach out to colleagues at FEMA to coordinate preparedness workshops and analysts, they use the off-season to update storm surge maps. Now, due to the shutdown, 
These key activities have not happened, leaving forecasters concerned about national hurricane preparedness, not only for this season, but also for the future. Now, can forecasters use last year's models? Yes, they can. Some say it's not a major concern. A meteorologist with IBM-owned Weather Underground says forecasting is incremental. What does that mean? It means that one year of improvement builds on the next. So when one round of model updates is interrupted by a shutdown, it halts future progress. Very interested to see what ends up happening for this Atlantic hurricane season. Although I think from our perspectives, Atlantic hurricane season never ends because we're constantly planning, preparing, and working through it each season, each and, year. And, and that's basically what the article is saying, is that even though there's a quote-unquote off-season for us in the field, there's no off-season, the planning never ends. Yep, emergencies don't stop and neither do we. <laughs> that's right. And that is our situation report. Up next is the moment you've all been waiting for. Former FEMA Region 2 Administrator under the Obama Administration, Jerome Hatfield, and First Deputy Commissioner at New York City Emergency Management, Calvin Drayton, they joined the show. But first, here's a message from New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Open calendar. What's my schedule looking like? Next Thursday, you will be caught in an emergency flash flood between Park and First Street. What? No, no, that doesn't work. I'm, I'm busy then. Decline. De decline. Disasters don't plan ahead, but you can. It starts with talking to your loved ones about making an emergency plan. So don't wait. Communicate. Get started today at nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. If you don't know, now you know. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Yes, you're listening to Prep Talk and we are back. We are joined with Commissioner Drayton and Administrator Hatfield. Commissioner Drayton, prior to joining New York City Emergency Management, you were with the American Red Cross, and Mr. Hatfield, you were with the New Jersey State Police. What sparked your interest in the emergency management field, and how did you get started? Mr. Hatfield, let's begin with you. Uh, good morning, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, I had been a, a trooper with the New Jersey State Police for uh, several years, and I realized that it was one of the most uh, diversified law enforcement organizations in the country. And so as I was uh, moving on with my career, I started to collaborate uh, with constituents uh, within the organization to find out that the Governor's Office of Emergency Management is actually housed in the New Jersey State Police. Mm -hmm. And so I took interest in it, and I found myself uh, attending courses at Rutgers University uh, to determine if I was interested enough in emergency management to actually um, seek an opportunity in working in the New Jersey Office of Emergency Management. Uh, hence, uh, after about a year and a half of, of studies, uh, I became very passionate about pursuing the profession, uh, realizing that uh, I was able to uh, participate in a public safety pursuit more so than a law enforcement pursuit mm -hmm. and could equally do so at the same time. Hence, uh, a couple of years later, I found myself in a profession that I uh, am extremely passionate about. Commissioner Drayden? Well, again, good morning to uh, both you and Alice and Omar. Um, my common denominator in this business uh, was the fact that I uh, was helping people. Uh, many years after graduating from college, I went to uh, realize that in my small town of South, in Greenville, South Carolina, 
the diverse, uh, there was not much diversity in one community-based organization, which was called the United Way. Mm -hmm. I recruit, they recruited me, brought me on board, uh, and then I ran into a gentleman who was a mentor of mine, Ralph Dickerson, who was the CEO of the Pittsburgh United Way, who recruited me to come join him as he moved from Pittsburgh to New York City. And I became one of a few uh, uh, African-Americans at the agency. And then after raising, trying to raise uh, dollars in corporate America here at that time, it was very, very difficult. I looked for another challenge and uh, volunteer at the American Red Cross, one of the agencies that we were helping at the time, said, you know what, I think there's something that you have that will be very, very good in our business. And I took a job as the deputy director for disaster services. And 30 years later, here I am. <laughs> we're happy to have you. <laughs> So, Mr. Hatfield, you served uh, one of FEMA's largest regions, and you were responsible for coordinating emergency preparedness and response for 32 million residents, which is a big undertaking, um, located in New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the area's tribal nations. Commissioner Drayton, you are responsible for 8.5 million people in New York City is one of the most diverse cities in the country. So this question is for both of you. Um, how can emergency managers ensure they are reaching a diverse population with the message of preparedness? Mr. Hatfield, let's start with you. I think that it's very simple. Uh, the only reason that government exists is to serve the interests of others. And so uh, in emergency management, uh, we have to be civic and community-minded. Uh, hence, uh, working outside the box is critically important. So it's not just uh, making sure that there's a relationship with departments and agencies uh, through government, but it's making sure that there's a community connection that allows us to be able to integrate uh, our messages and, and our understanding uh, with faith-based institutions, uh, volunteer organizations, uh, civic and community-minded leaders, uh, to make sure that uh, on a 24-7, 365 basis, we're able to interrelate an understanding of the needs of our community and at the same time provide messages that support the community interests. It appears that my friend Jerome has been reading my, my notes here, uh, <laughs> so I'll just, I'll just tag on to what he said. Uh, many years ago, uh, the city emergency management realized that first of two things. First of all, our, the constituents here in the city had no idea of what emergency management was, so we mm -hmm. had to do a couple of things. We had to come up with a strategy uh, and uh, to get that to educate the public on who we were, but more importantly, to figure out the best way to reach that, that diverse population. And that came out to be, came out to be uh, community outreach. We did this community outreach via going into churches, recruiting and training volunteers for what was, at that time was probably one of our most important decisions, our community emergency response team, better known as CERT. In addition to that, we went into the schools, uh, Ready New York programs, reaching out to the young kids who could take it back to their parents, developing a family plan, uh, go bags. And then recently we just in uh, instituted another strategy in the school system, with uh, which we're very, very proud of here at New York City EM, Ready Girl. Hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. our superhero. And what's so important about what both of you said is that it's really about going out and connecting with the people. Absolutely. Yes. That's what emergency management is, getting out into the neighborhoods, uh, whether it be churches, as you said, schools, and really touching the people, letting them know, one, who we are, and then, two, why we're here and how we can be of help and benefit to them. Mm -hmm. Seems like a lot of people only know about us when there are emergencies, right? Right. But there's so much that we can do and that we do 
in what we call blue sky times when there's not an emergency. And a key component is building the relationship with the communities so that when they need us in times of distress, uh, they know who we are, we're a trusted source, and we can work well together with them. Absolutely. I think that's really well said. Now, we look at events like 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina, both of which shaped the emergency management field. Take us back to emergency management then, and how have we grown over the past years? I'll start with you, Mr. Hatfield. Well, I think that uh, certainly uh, 9-11 and uh, Hurricane Katrina made us take a look at uh, the profession uh, in a different way. Um, I think it's been a long time since we've uh, entertained uh, such catastrophic events. And and as such, I I think that uh, it allowed us to start uh, taking a look at how we could evolve uh, our profession. And and so I think a lot of mistakes that we recognize, uh, particularly with uh, Hurricane Katrina, allowed us to create policies and, uh, and new protocols mm-hmm. uh, to address uh, the future norms as well as the, the new norms. And, and as such, I think uh, moving forward, we've uh, maximized our ability to uh, use our national mutual aid efforts in a much greater, greater way through the uh, Emergency Management Assistance Compact. Uh, we've been able to maximize the use of social media to make sure that we're actually broadcasting uh, to citizens in our community uh, as such. And uh, we've uh, also developed a better understanding as to how we can communicate with each other. Uh, you know, certainly before some of these uh, cataclysmic events occurred, uh, I believe that uh, many of our communities were more insular than they were uh, you know, uh, certainly after the fact. And so, you know, to that extent, I think we've created force multipliers that allow us to uh, bring communities of interest together in a public safety enterprise uh, to address uh, daily emergencies as, as well as uh, the emergencies that we have yet to see. Right. It's a very good point. Um, you know, a lot of lessons were learned from after 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina. We saw a lot of challenges. And I think, you know, this is a emergency management is a fairly new field. And I think now we are we are seeing uh, cities, counties and states, federal government doing more all hazard planning, thinking outside of the box, uh, working closely, very closely with our public and private partners. Uh, We have begun to remove the silos around the state and federal and local governments in an effort to bring uh, collaborative uh, work and planning. Now, Commissioner Drayton, you bring up an excellent point about getting rid of the silos. Um, One of the biggest events here in New York City was Hurricane Sandy, and you both helped lead um, efforts for preparedness, response, and recovery. Um, Can you share how this coordinated response works uh, among all of the levels of government? Commissioner Drayton, let's start with you. Yeah, I think the relationship in New York City and the state is very, very good. I think um, through the efforts of working with my friend here, Jerome at FEMA and some of the other past uh, regional directors, we, we did a lot of more understanding of who we are and what we do. Uh, we've done a lot of planning together. We've done a lot of tabletop exercises to understand that um, what FEMA could bring to the table in assets and resources. But more importantly, we found that they also bring a checkbook. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest piece of this uh, this awareness that for us, uh, we, we can't do it all. We try to believe that the city of New York is this big monster and that we can take it on. But Sandy and 9-11 made us realize that we do need help from the outside. Mr. Hatfield, anything you'd like to add? 
Emergency management as a profession uh, requires collaboration, coordination, and communication. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, it's an evolving network that requires robust relationships. Um, I've known uh, the deputy commissioner for over 15 years. And so when I came to, uh, t- uh, to New York City uh, to address the recovery efforts of uh, Superstorm Sandy, um, I felt that because of existing relationships, we were able to evolve uh, the recovery platform in a, in a much quicker way. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had the opportunity to, uh, to be a member of the New Jersey Office of Emergency Management when la- landfall occurred for Superstorm Sandy. And so having the ability to work at the state level in New Jersey to coordinate the statewide efforts, but at the same time, work with New York City to understand uh, what they were doing, what their resource capabilities were, how we can continue to support each other. All that occurred through existing relationships uh, that remained intact. And so it was not just New York City or the state of New Jersey that was working to address uh, this effort. It was actually the ability to address uh, over 20 million people with a strategy that was actually shared shared with multiple platforms. And so uh, the federal government uh, was uh, very helpful in making sure that there was an active communications capability that made sure the network understood what their potential shortfalls were. And we were also uh, sharing our strengths uh, as well. And so I would say that uh, the effective communication that prevails uh, is critical uh, from a federal vantage point, making sure that we understand risk and threat uh, with our partners that we uh, share that responsibility with is critically important. And as uh, Calvin has said uh, over and over again, the importance of making sure that uh, taxpayers' money comes in to support in advance of these types of events, uh, potential uh, issues that can be mitigated uh, prior to the onset uh, of a crisis is critically important. And then certainly in the recovery effort, making sure that uh, the taxpayers' dollars from the federal government are coming in uh, to uh, uh, reestablish normalcy uh, over again is going to be critical. The three C's of emergency management, collaboration, coordination, and communication. Yep. That's one thing I love about emergency management is that it is, in fact, a shared business. It doesn't matter what level of government you're on. Even if you work in the private sector, emergency management really is everywhere. We've even seen this um, over the last several years with more conferences, the National Homeland Security Conference, you know, as like one, you know, showcase of how we all do work together. We all learn from each other. Um, And even events like this, like we're able to come together, take those best practices to our own jurisdictions, but also keep in mind that these relationships are there. Those lines of communication are open. Mm -hmm. Very well said, Allison. Uh, Now, you have both been advocates for resiliency. And Mr. Hatfield, you have promoted it as a prevention, preparedness and mitigation tool. And Commissioner Drayden, you have outlined resiliency in New York City Emergency Management Strategic Plan. What does resiliency mean, one, for emergency managers, and two, for our listeners, the everyday people? We hear that word a lot, resiliency. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, 9-11 and Sandy uh, made resiliency probably one of the top five uh, priorities in the city of New York, and rightfully so. Um, You know, building it back quickly as possible, making it better to withstand uh, future Disasters is number one, but I think the most important thing that the listeners need to understand is that it's not resiliency is not owned by the federal government. It's not owned by the state. It's not owned by the local 
it's a combination of all three plus you, the listener. Mm, wonderful. Very well said. Um, I'm going to agree with that. I, I think uh, resiliency uh, is the bounce back ability, if you will, of communities that have uh, suffered losses, their ability to, to reestablish normalcy as quickly as possible. I know that uh, for years uh, we were working to address uh, communities that suffered repetitive losses, but it seems as though we weren't sp spending money wisely because we kept on spending and spending in communities where those repetitive damages uh, were common occurrences. Mm -hmm. uh, in identifying resiliency, it's not simply the ability to use the, the dollars wisely, but to develop strategies that allow for that bounce back to occur. Uh, we've seen it in 9-11, we've seen it in Hurricane Katrina, uh, Superstorm Sandy, and certainly with hurricanes that we've seen in, in the recent past. So we were saying this earlier that, you know, people know what FEMA is, emergency management is, immediately before, during, or after a disaster. Um, so what we would like to do is have you walk our listeners through what efforts are being taken to build relationships when there isn't an, an emergency. Mr. Hatfield. I think that's when it's important to do your best work. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, again, we've talked about resiliency being a preparedness and mitigation strategy, but we've got to make sure that people understand what role they play as we prepare for the onset of, uh, of, of future disasters. And, and so it, it really starts with government making sure that we are interconnected and having a robust relationship that allows us to play bigger than we would otherwise. But it also includes making sure that we have a community base that understands their responsibility and the role that they play as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I say that, you know, preparedness is all encompassing. Uh, it's what's important to you. So how do you invest in the things that are important to you uh, when uh, it's a blue sky period? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, government is an overlay to provide support to that existing strategy, but it's really critical for citizens to understand that they bear a responsibility to protect their own interests. Uh, and then the overlay of that comes from government. I think the other critical avenue that uh, needs to be discussed is the, the advent of the private sector as well. The private sector resources, whether it's communication, strategy, uh, economic support, uh, is, is critical as well. So, you know, Craig Fugate uh, had talked about whole of community. Uh, you know, uh, Calvin and I are probably close to the same age. And so, you know, we grew up in a village uh, where it took a village to raise a child. And, and I, I think that it's really synonymous with, with, with that understanding mm -hmm. that we all bear a responsibility to make sure that we are investing in the things that are important to us. Yeah, one of the first things that I learned coming into this business is that the last thing you want to do is to establish a relationship or meet someone for the first time during an emergency. Hmm. And um, and so I took that to heart. And one of the things that we do on, clear, on Blue Sky Days is that we do a lot of planning with our partners, our partners being both city agencies, our, our corporate American, our corporate partners, uh, our state and federal partners so that when that emergency happens like 9-11 or Sandy, you knew who's coming to the table. You knew the resources, their core capabilities and, uh, that they can bring. Um, you know, 9-11 or Sandy, for example, I knew Jerome. And so I knew that if I needed something from, from, uh, from FEMA at that time, I could pick up the phone and call them. 9-11, uh, I knew the right people from the state. I knew the right people from the federal government. 
and I knew the challenges that 9-11 was going to bring to our city agency. So knowing these, knowing the people that work in this business or outside of this business is very, very important to, to, to have that relationship established prior to. And that's why we're going out into the communities, out into the churches yep. and into the schools, because we can then connect with you, the listener, so that when there is an emergency, we have the relationship with you and you understand who we are and how we can assist you. Mm -hmm. oh, man, I, I just have to pause here to say that the information that we are receiving today from both of you guys, I, oh, it's amazing. Wait till you get my bill. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was free. <laughs> um, now, looking back over your careers, what would you say has been your toughest day on the job and how did you overcome that? Commissioner Drayton, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I guess the obvious for me is 9-11. Uh, the fact that I'm here able to do this podcast is a blessing. Uh, I almost lost my life on that day. But I survived it, thank God. Got back up in the saddle. Uh, and uh, again, working collaboratively with state, local, and everyone that was coming to the city to help us uh, get through that very tragic event. Um, it was probably, not probably, which was pro which was the, the most challenging uh, job in my career. Very big time. Yep. Yeah. I think it's going to be difficult for me to identify a, a specific day or event, but I, I think in my most recent history, I could probably take a look at the night before a landfall of uh, Superstorm Sandy. And so we had worked very closely with a lot of our stakeholders and partners, federal, state, county, local. Uh, we had done a lot of work with uh, National Hurricane Center, National Weather Service, and so forth. And so literally um, hours before landfall, we were quite confident that we were ready to address uh, the most critical of issues and arguably what would be uh, the greatest challenge that the state has seen in modern history. Hours prior to landfall, we received a call that allowed us to believe that the surge uh, from the Atlantic was going to be about four feet higher than expected. Okay. And we had very little to no time to address that issue. And so uh, realizing that the event was going to be much worse, even though the general mindset that we always shared was you plan for the worst and hope for the best, that was a worst case scenario that we felt was going to challenge a lot of our communities. And so I think on that particular day, uh, it was uh, a very long night. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you both have, you know, given us a wealth of knowledge just speaking with us today, but, um, you know, you both have had illustrious careers. So what I would like to know is you've had several accomplishments, but which ones stand out to you the most, Commissioner Drayton? Yeah, you know, this is going to sound very corny, uh, but I'll say it. Um, I think every job that I've had uh, been associated with has, I've seen accomplishments, uh, everything from a uh, terrorist attack to a water main to a house fire. Uh, transportation is uh, disastrous, Mother Nature. But probably one of the the one accomplish that accomplishment that I'm most proud of is the fact that I've been able to surround myself with uh, a staff of people over the last numerous years that have made my job a lot easier. And I appreciate that more than anything else. Very well said. I have to agree with uh, with Calvin uh, on that front. Uh, building a team. Uh, that uh, provides a strong foundation for your support is critical. I think one of the events that uh, will never escape me is the 
activation of our Contraflow plan for the very first time. We had been working on it for uh, about eight to 10 years. I want to say it was uh, a year before uh, Superstorm Sandy uh, when Hurricane Irene uh, was approaching. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, uh, we enacted a reverse lane strategy on the Garden State Parkway, uh, removing an an essence of 1.3 million people uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, there was an overwhelming amount of success associated with that. Uh, and uh, for the very first time that we bared witness to that with a transient population as well as a population of citizens that were living along the uh, Atlantic coastline, uh, it was uh, something that we became comfortable with moving forward as we realized that uh, we would entertain future hurricanes and future challenges Uh, understanding that that was something that we would be able to enact with a much greater confidence. What would you consider to be the biggest challenge facing the emergency management field today? Uh, To me, me it's a couple of things. Um, We are going to, as emergency managers, we're going to have to figure out how to better utilize social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, We live in a a 24-hour news cycle, and we have to figure out how best to use the Twitters of the world the data miners of the world, the Instagrams, and I can't believe I'm rattling all this off. But <laughs> <laughs> We're impressed. <laughs> but I think we have to figure out, because that is the future, we need to get a, a clear understanding of that. And I think the, the next thing for, for locally in the city is data. How do we manage, how do we gather, manage, and utilize data uh, as quickly as possible to, and to better understand what is going on around us uh, and how do we best use that data? Mr. Hatfield. I think Calvin was looking at my notes, <laughs> and, and, and so uh, I, again, I agree with him. Uh, I, I think uh, equally, uh, another challenge for the profession is going to be inclusion. Um, having the pleasure to work here in New York City as the regional administrator for FEMA, uh, I saw risks and threats uh, that are very challenging, and, and so uh, some of those are not. Uh, natural base, but they are technologically based or, or, or if you will, uh, man-made threats. Right. And so uh, to that degree, as we take a look at uh, cyber and the intrusions that occur that have uh, critical impacts to our infrastructure and certainly our communities and citizens, uh, I think it's knowing and understanding that there are events that we have never seen before that are around the corner and that we've got to be ready and able to respond to some of those challenges. And so uh, being able to do so with a whole of community mindset that represents a holistic strategy for the communities uh, of interest is going to be critically important. Uh, being uh, on the law enforcement side of the house at one point, as well as the uh, emergency management side, uh, I believe that the inclusion of public safety as a whole, mm-hmm. and then also the inclusion of the private sector as well as the citizens through VOAD communities and faith-based communities is critically important. I just am of the belief that sometimes we as a government tend to go it alone and then secondarily uh, reach out for other causeways to mitigate crisis. And I think that 
uh, the inclusion of understanding that we're going to be entertaining events that we have yet to see in the future should allow us to come to the table on a continual basis and make sure that we have a um, ever-present platform that allows us to evolve preparedness and mitigation through a resiliency platform to prepare for those disasters that we have yet to see. I think it's really well said. We're talking about whole community, all-inclusive, all hazards, reaching people where they are, but also not dismissing the fact that, you know, resources that are needed for different communities, you know, everything needs to be adjusted accordingly to ensure that everyone is getting the information they need, knowing what to do before, during, and after a disaster, Um, which leads us to our next question. Where do you see emergency management in this country in the next five years? Yeah, um, you know, this thing called climate change, we are seeing uh, weather that we've never seen Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last few years um, that uh, we need to get a be- much better handle on. And I think finally for me would be the security of the homeland. Uh, we live in a very interesting time in our lives right now, and um, I think we need to understand the, the impact of securing the, the securing the border, securing our homeland, uh, so that we will be able to deal with it when it eventually happens. You know, many folks that know me know that I kind of have opinions that aren't uh, globally shared. Right. And, and so uh, when I was working at the state and the federal level, I was always of the belief that emergency management compartmentalize what our true capabilities were. And so as we take a look at events that we have yet to see, uh, events of concern that may be technically or man-made driven, uh, from my perspective, it always seemed as though we, as a, an emergency management profession, were on the back burner and, and, and secondary to uh, some of the greater challenges of being able to respond to those types of events. And so, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, I'm concerned about the future, understanding that many people uh, believe that emergency management uh, is based on the highest of probabilities when it comes to crisis. And, and not crisis in general. And crisis tomorrow, five years from now, 10 years from now, is going to be uniquely different than what we've seen in the last five or 10 years. Very true. And so, albeit climate change or some of the challenges that we'll face, uh, because uh, contrary to popular belief, history doesn't always repeat itself, mm-hmm. I, I, the evolutions that are going to be required to make sure that we have a seamless transition of support to communities of need through the enterprises that are created by way of home, uh, whole, whole of community is going to be critically important. A lot of information in there uh, for our listeners. I want to switch gears a little bit. As you know, this is uh, Black History Month. Uh, so I want to ask both of you, in honor of Black History Month, which leader has been an inspiration to you. Commissioner Drayden, we're going to start with you. Yeah, well, you said one, but I, I have to go with two. Okay. Um, Martin Luther King um, was probably a leader that I've been very inspired by. He, he opened the door for a gentleman who was able to kick it down, and that was President Obama. Right. And I think those two individuals uh, inspired me the most. Um, growing up, I had two pictures in my house that were in the living room. One was obviously Martin Luther King. Second one was uh, was JFK. Mm-hmm. And so when we take a look at the transition of culture uh, in this country, 
I think the diversity associated with the celebration of black history must be all-encompassing. Uh, the, the other thing that I'll say is that uh, for, for, for me personally, um, I have to make sure that I represent um, Muhammad Ali. Right. And, and so a lot of people look at him as being a great fighter. Uh, he was uh, much more than that. Uh, I look at him as being uh, an, an adversary in this country at one point, someone who, who became very dynamic, very prolific, uh, captivating, uh, and, and probably one of the most recognized international faces yeah. that we've ever seen in the modern era. Uh, and, and that transcends into politics that opens doors that are historically closed. And so as a young black male growing up and looking at someone who at the time was also young and very challenged with working within the system, he chose to operate outside the box and as a result of that became incredibly successful to the point where his successes are probably greater outside of this country than they are in this country. And it's beyond the sport of boxing. It has a humanitarian overtone associated with that, uh, something that I don't think he'll ever get enough credit for. And so I want to recognize him for the work that he did in over 80 countries. Thank you both for, for those thoughts. Mr. Hatfield, I know you talked about inclusion earlier. And this question is going to be for both of you in terms of, you know, understanding Black History Month and the opportunities uh, for all races uh, here in this country. When we look at inclusion and emergency management, what are your thoughts on how inclusive the field is and how we can move towards more inclusion in, in this field? I think it's a great question. I, I think that as time goes by, people uh, continue to understand how valuable the emergency management enterprise is. I know at the, uh, when I was working for FEMA, uh, we supported uh, our DHS family in a, in a great way, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the, uh, the federal family, doing a number of things that people wouldn't even think that uh, FEMA would be involved in. And, and so uh, I think it's a, a incredibly powerful investment for folks that understand the value of the investment. Mm-hmm. Um, as Calvin said, that uh, it, it's still fairly new. Uh, we haven't been around that long. And so I think it's uh, important for uh, voices that understand the value of the profession uh, to prevail, to allow people to continue to evolve uh, this profession to be what it can be. Uh, I've once said that as valuable as it is, it's my belief that maybe we should call it something else. Mm -hmm. Because I think that uh, far too many people in this country are of the belief that it's for hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods. And uh, that's not what emergency management is. Emergency management is about crisis, regardless of what the crisis is. And and so uh, we've seen things happening even today that allow us to understand how taxpayers' dollars are used uh, to support potential crisis. Uh, And so I think moving forward, the evolution is critically important in allowing us to really understand this dynamic arena 
that they call emergency management to make sure that we're actually maximizing the benefits of communities of need uh, to ensure that we're providing the types of resources that are going to be critical regardless of the event. I would just add to what uh, Jerome said. I think women and people of color, this is a great opportunity for you to get on to you know, on the, the ground floor of an industry that's continuing to grow. Um, we have seen some great strides um, uh, in leadership, but I think there are uh, some great opportunities for leadership, some great opportunities for people like myself and Jerome to mentor uh, and to bring uh, to pick someone up on your back and carry them through and set the example, but also keep the bar very high so that uh, we can continue to produce leaders in this business. And, and I like that you said, uh, Commissioner Drayden, uh, what you said about mentorship, because for me as African-American young man, uh, just coming into emergency management now four years and seeing you in your role as first deputy commissioner here, uh, you know, it's an inspiration for me and it, and it shows me that, you know, I can aspire to be like you. I can aspire to be uh, a first deputy commissioner uh, or just a leader in general in, in my field or in, in whatever I do. And then I can also help others, black, white, uh, whatever the race, whatever the age, whatever ethnicity, gender, you know, I can help others to achieve their goals. And so seeing uh, like people in leadership positions, it really inspires and, and it dares you to dream to mm-hmm. be the best that you can be. No, there's this, this field has expanded in terms of the opportunity, um, as both of these gentlemen have shared with us, it's it's evolved, but you know what? It also, in in a lot of ways, as Mr. Hatfield said, needs to be rebranded. It's not just about mm-hmm. you know the hazard or the emergency that's at hand. It's also about the people, and that's what it comes down to. That we're all affected by a disaster in some way, shape, or form, and what we need is more opportunity. We need more ways for people to learn, um, and it's some and it's a relatively new field in government. And we want more people to get involved. And that's why we do things like this podcast is to share, you know, our insights and what can be done and what has been done. So it's it really has been wonderful to speak with both of you about your experiences and what other people can learn um, as they try to make their foray into the emergency management field. So thank you. We are going to switch gears a little and it is time for rapid response. It's a little lighter side mm-hmm. of the podcast. Uh, I dare to say it's Allison's favorite segment. <laughs> it's also Omar's favorite segment. <laughs> I wanted to put all the blame on you, but that's, it is that's okay. my favorite. It is my favorite segment as well. And for our first time listeners, it's very simple. Allison and I will ask uh, some questions and whatever comes to mind. Uh, Mr. Hatfield and Commissioner Drayden uh, will answer. So let's get into it. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. Uh, It is Rapid Response, and I'm going to start with Commissioner Drayden. What do you think is the most important emergency preparedness tip? Uh, Family plan. Go back. Mm, Wonderful. Mr. Hatfield. I think that you have to invest in things that are important. And and so whatever is important to you, you make sure that you create an umbrella of protection around it. And uh, so when something happens, uh, you can protect it. Perfect. Okay. What is one emergency item you cannot live without? 
cell phone. <laughs> you know what's interesting <laughs> is that we had our commissioner on a few episodes ago, and and that's the same answer he gave. Yep. Cell phone. <laughs> Mr. Hatfield, what about you? I'm going to say the same thing. Our, our cell phone today is is a walking computer, and so if you don't have communications capability, uh, albeit uh, you know uh, telephone data or even access uh, to information, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to be successful. Mm-hmm. True, very true. Uh, Mr. Hatfield, what keeps you up at night? This is the emergency management question that we ask all emergency managers. We get a wide range of responses. So I'm uh, very curious uh, as to what yours is going to be. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, the, the only thing, you know, I think that if you are properly prepared to address uh, the issues and challenges of, of everyday life, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you have a winning chance of being successful. And, and to that degree, if in fact um, I have challenges in the evening, it, it's probably based more so on being able to execute. You know, so uh, there are catastrophic plans that are out here. There are a number of things that are out here that we can actually use uh, in our toolbox uh, to be successful regardless of the event. And so from my perspective, uh, it's about execution, executing through training, through exercising, through coordination and through the the tools that we use uh, as emergency management professionals. Yeah, I, I would agree um, that uh, with what Jerome just said, but I think the one thing that I would just add to that that does actually keep me up at night is this thing called cyber. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we've had cyber in bits and pieces here and there, but we've never had a cyber attack that takes out our banking. Never had a cyber attack that takes out the banking in New York State. Uh, it takes out our utilities in New York State. Uh, and that's something that I don't think, you know, maybe they're doing it at the federal level, but I think we need to do more of that um, as, as, a, as a group, as a people in the United States, uh, cyber planning. All right. That'll keep me up at night, along with several other things, which we will not <laughs> rattle off in this episode. Um, I know the answer for Commissioner Drayton. I'm still going to ask it anyway. Your favorite sports team? Oh, there's a few. Uh, first of all, my dear Clemson Tigers, uh, my Dallas Cowboys, oh boy. my New York Yankees. There you go. And Tiger Woods. What's <laughs> that, Phil? The Cleveland Browns. Oh boy! Nice. Wow. And my father played a professional ball, and so he always marvelled at the ability of Jim Brown. So I kind of grew up uh, understanding who Jim Brown was and the value of the Cleveland Browns back then, which was uh, f- professional football. And so, uh, you know, some forty-eight years later, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. So you have Baker Mayfield. So I guess. There is some hope uh, going into next season. Oh, absolutely! Uh, I, I, I think there's hope in the concept of team to a better understanding than what has been in the past. Mm. Mm-hmm. I know oh. it's a I know it's a fictional film, but I love the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner. <laughs> it's all about the Cleveland Browns. So when you said that, I was like, that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> oh man! Um, sum up your career, if you can, in one word, Commissioner Drayton. Exciting, evolving. All right. And last but not least, what advice would you give to anyone interested in joining the emergency management field? If you're serious about it, I would su- strongly suggest that you do a lot of homework. Understand what the field is all about. Understand that if you want to make this a career, the, the commitment that's required to be successful in this business. There are a lot of opportunities out here, uh, you know, uh, free services that give you uh, an understanding of what emergency management is all about. 
There's over uh, 150 college and university programs out here that are marshalling undergraduate and graduate degree programs uh, in emergency management. Uh, it is an incredibly diversified field. Uh, there's a number of things that you can do uh, synonymous with being an emergency management professional. If I look at uh, this building here in New York City representing uh, emergency management, uh, there are a number of people in the building that have uh, represented multiple traditional disciplines mm -hmm. uh, that are now working in this field. There are so many different ways to access insight, understanding, and then training so you can be uh, 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 an emergency management professional of the future. And, and so more so than anything else, you talked about the three C's. Collaboration, coordination, and communications is going to be critical. And if you don't have those three elements, it's going to be very difficult for you to operate in this diverse dimension of, of our community. Very well said. I want to thank both of you for being on the show with us. A wealth of knowledge, uh, wealth of experience, and an inspiration to myself, I know to Allison, and definitely to our listeners. So thank you both for your work in the field and what you've done and what you're going to continue to do. Thank you. Thank you. And we want our listeners to check out nyc.gov forward slash emergency management. Also, do your research. There are plenty of programs and opportunities to get involved in this field, um, whether you're on the local, state, federal level, a community organization, the private sector. Emergency management is, in fact, everywhere and all-encompassing. So we want you to join us. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.